Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Utilizing low-dose radiation scans that reveal cancers, cardiac issues, precursors of dementia, and more. Information about early health screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. Just before Donald Trump announced his third bid for the White House, he made a pitch for another candidate. He was an incredible athlete. He'll be an even better senator. Get out and vote for Herschel Walker. Even as Trump hurdles towards 2024, the 2022 election is not over. Georgia's U.S. Senate race won't be decided until December the 6th. Republicans want the runoff to be a referendum on Democratic control of Washington, but Trump's White House bid could complicate that message. After the announcement, Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock tweeted a photo of Walker and Trump, and he had this to say about the former president. He is well-practiced in the politics of division. My opponent is his acolyte. Georgia's Senate race will be one test of Trump's place in this political moment. I'm Susanna Capaluto, politics editor here at WABE. I'm Raul Bally, WABE politics reporter. I'm Sam Greenglass. I cover politics for WABE. I'm Emma Hurt, a reporter with Axios in Atlanta, and this is Georgia Votes 2022, a campaign podcast from WABE in Atlanta. I vote because it's a privilege. I vote it's a duty. because I want to make an and impact. I vote my because I want leaders who care voting about Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. Hello, everyone. So Donald Trump is back in the political sphere with his announcement this week. And with Herschel Walker being his selected candidate, has Georgia's December 6th runoff become the first test of Trump's power in Georgia? What do you think? You know, we've talked about in the past how weird it's been to to not talk about Trump very much on the Georgia campaign trail in the last couple months. Even Herschel Walker, his his landmark endorsed candidate at the top of the ticket doesn't talk about him much at all. And that hasn't changed. I mean, Sam and I were were at a Walker event this week and his stump speech hasn't changed. It still doesn't mention Trump. But I will say like Trump's fans in Georgia know that Herschel Walker is endorsed by Trump and know that Herschel Walker and Trump are close, longtime friends. And so it's not like he needs to explain his credibility with related to Trump to his his most fervent supporters here. You know, I I still think it's going to depend what it looks like on the campaign trail and what it looks like in ads and television. You know, will Herschel eventually talk about Trump? It doesn't seem like it with what you guys are seeing on the trail. Will Trump appear in Georgia? Uh, Will Warnock increase tying Walker to Trump? So to me, no matter what happens, former President Trump and current President Biden, whether they come to Georgia or not, it means something, especially when in this election, it's going to be so much a fight about turnout. Also add some to something that Emma nodded at, which is that at Walker rallies, you still see Trump banners, hats and shirts. They're a staple at these rallies. So there's definitely a segment of the GOP base that would be energized by a Trump visit and, you know, maybe support a Trump run for the White House, too. I, you know, I've also talked to Republican voters, especially in Metro Atlanta, who at one point liked and voted for Trump and maybe still like him, but they want to see a different candidate in 2024, either because they can't think he can't win or because they find his actions to overturn the 2020 election 
disqualifying. So again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves looking to 2024 when we still have an election to finish up here in 2022. But even as I talk to voters over the last couple of months on the campaign trail, it's still something that's on people's mind. And while there's a segment of the base that might be excited about this run, there are other Republicans who are hesitant about it, even among those who appreciate the, the job that the president did over the last four years in office. I do want to add something here about something we heard from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who, as we know, is spending millions through his Senate leadership fund to get Walker elected. He said that part of the reason that other Republicans didn't do as well across the country in November is because they didn't appeal to centrist moderate voters. And he says in Georgia, we have a second chance to get it right this time. And he identified that as the problem. So that also explains why we, while we do see, as Sam mentioned, Trump gear everywhere, we don't hear about Trump from Walker right now. So what does it ultimately mean for Democrats, the Trump announcement? For Democrats, as we know, Trump lost in Georgia. So tying Walker to Trump is is an advantage. That's why we see Senator Warnock putting out ads with pictures of Walker and Trump together. We see the tweets, as we mentioned. Like, it's it's a very clear argument in their mind. But at the same time, it's a different saliency than 2021 and the runoffs when Trump was literally at forefront of mind in American politics right now. Trump is like he was during the 2021 runoffs. I think we do see evidence, though, that Warnock is willing to raise this as a point in a way that he didn't during the general election campaign. You know, you would hear Warnock being asked about Trump in gaggles on the campaign trail, and he would very artfully skirt the question However, this week, he was asked about Trump's White House bid uh, during a press conference in Atlanta, and he did go there, uh, as we heard in the top of this show, um, trying to connect his opponent, Herschel Walker, to the former president. And I think that is a departure. Now, you three have been out on the campaign trail for this runoff. Um, Are you hearing anything different or are the arguments the same? Are they sticking to talking points? What's the vibe here? I think the most noteworthy thing we've heard so far is Governor Brian Kemp is joining Herschel Walker on the campaign trail this Saturday. Look, they've effectively run separate campaigns. They even held competing election eve rallies less than a mile apart. So for me, those two being on the stage together campaign together is 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 noteworthy. More importantly, the Kemp camp behind the scenes is giving the Walker campaign, significant help. And this is a story that we saw reported by Politico, which involved Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Governor Kemp is lending much of this machine, this operation that he built because of some of the distrust he had with the state Republican Party. So this is going to be important because this is a turnout election. So what you're seeing is whether it's going to be data operations that are going to be lent, actual data, volunteers, staffing. Again, in in a race where it's all going to be about turnout for a single race, this is one of those things that can make a big difference. 
Yeah, I think it's an important point, Roel. It's a huge game changer for Walker because during the general election, Kemp's operation could only campaign for the state level ticket. They couldn't campaign for Walker. Now they're fully focused on him. So that'll be a big change because as we know, this runoff, like all elections, but in particular, this runoff is going to be about turnout. Like nobody knows exactly which voters are going to be motivated to show up. There are so many strange dynamics at play here. And so to have an infrastructure like the one that Kemp spent millions building is a huge advantage for Walker. So let's talk for a moment about the messages that we're hearing from these two candidates on the campaign trail as they embark on their runoff races. Warnock is rolling out a very clear runoff message. This is not about Democrats or Republicans, he has said. The race is about competence and character. We hear those two words coming up again and again when Warnock is on the stump in these runoffs. It is a very clear play for those Kemp-Warnock voters that we've talked so much about over the course of this election. Walker, on the other hand, uh, Emma and I were at his rally in McDonough this week. And Emma, tell me if you feel differently, but to me it read as very much the same message as the last few months of this race that we've heard again and again. Uh, I mean, a good chunk was spent criticizing trans people in sports and the military. And when he did get to what many Republicans say should be driving his runoff message, you know, this focus on the economy, on Biden and Democrats' control of Washington, it came in this kind of confusing statement. We got people in Washington that gotten too weak. All they want to do is let people ride their bike. That's what Senator Warnock is doing. Let Joe Biden ride his bike because he voted with him 96% of the time, which means he don't know what he's doing or he seemed to love Joe Biden. I don't know which one it is, but I can tell you both of them is wrong. Yeah, I think you're right, Sam. I mean, it feels like almost exactly the same message that he's been making in the final couple months of the general. And it is ironic if you think about what Mitch McConnell said this week, that that Republicans need to be appealing to centrist, moderate, independent voters. Walker's campaign style right now doesn't seem to be doing that. Now, I'd like to take a quick stock here of the midterm elections. Democrats uh, nationally on cloud nine, mainly because they didn't lose as badly as some polls had predicted. But here in Georgia, they lost all statewide races. Why is that? Sam, you did some reporting around why Stacey Abrams didn't get close to her 2018 success. Well, I think the answer here is complicated. There's a lot going on. But I think one thing we have to start with is 2022 is in many ways a different world than 2018. Kemp was an incumbent with a record to highlight, especially when it comes to the economy. And unlike Republicans in many other states, uh, Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger did not bow to Trump in the weeks after the 2020 election. And I think that made it really challenging for Democrats to paint them as anything other than defenders of democracy, at least in the eyes of many voters. I talked about that with Jen Jordan, who was the Democratic nominee for attorney general. While other states, um, Republicans were very involved and were loud and proud in terms of their connections to Trump, really the opposite was happening here. Now, another big thing we have to look at is turnout. The turnout rate was actually lower than in 2018. And I've been talking to several pollsters and demographers who think that Democrats left lots and lots of their base voters on the table. Here's Clark Atlanta University professor Tammy Greer. There was a complete um, hubris to the demographic shift. Huge hubris. 
Now, is there a question about messaging, about ground game? Uh, campaigns are going to be asking those questions over and over again for the next two years, and also even over the next couple of weeks as we head into this runoff election. So let's take a break. You're listening to Georgia Votes 2022 Runoff Edition. I'm Susanna Capaluto. Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging, providing proactive medical diagnostics to catch deadly or debilitating diseases early, using state-of-the-art equipment to detect warning signs or offer peace of mind. You can take charge of your health at virtualimagingatl.com. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Welcome back to Georgia Votes 2022 with Raul, Sam, and Emma today. Let's talk about the early voting lawsuit that is being heard uh, on Friday. Why are we suing over Saturday early voting? As sometimes happens with election law, there was a weird thing that propped up people weren't aware of that, and actually a 2016 law prevents early voting from happening following close to a holiday. And because of Thanksgiving and because of the day after Thanksgiving, which is technically a holiday that used to be known as Robert E. Lee's birthday, the Secretary of State has said that actually early voting cannot happen for the runoff on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It can happen on the Sunday. And as we know, it has to happen the next Monday through Friday, the week before the runoff. But it's this Saturday that's at issue. And Democrats have sued, arguing that the Secretary of State's interpretation of the law is inaccurate, that actually counties can hold early voting on Saturday. And the reason why they're fighting over this is because one day, you know, one day can make a big difference in terms of voting access. We know that, you know, on one Saturday in the general election, 80,000 Georgians, I think, showed up. And Senator Warnock spoke to this this week about why he and his campaign decided to sue. We just saw an election in November where the people of Georgia made it clear that they want to use Saturday voting. And, you know, the Secretary of State's office is sticking to their interpretation and they're accusing Warnock of trying to change the law, of trying to pressure the counties in the middle of an election in an inappropriate way. That's what the Secretary of State's saying. So I wanted to bring in some of the conversations I had with early voters who were voting on Saturday and Sunday, especially in the metro Atlanta area. They would talk about the convenience, especially for those voters who are parents, about how packed their days were because, you know, they'd be dropping their kids off early in the day and then they'd have after school activities and everything else that, you know, really packed days. So even if there was, you know, early voting all day on a weekday, it just wasn't going to work for them. Look, these areas, especially around metro Atlanta and in the suburban areas, they lean Democratic. That's the reason an extra day of weekend early voting makes such a big difference. So the court hearing over this is today. In the meantime, 
PSA, early voting has to start at latest by Monday, November 28th, and it can go until Friday, December 2nd. Uh, The deadline to request an absentee ballot is Monday, November 28th. Some counties may choose to start before Thanksgiving their early voting or offer it the Sunday after, as Emma mentioned. And just one other reminder, only people who were registered to vote before November 8th are eligible to cast ballots in this runoff. And I think just the big picture on this is like this whole dynamic in which we don't even know really which counties are doing early voting when right now because each county can determine it themselves and because of this lawsuit is another thing that throws into question how this runoff will go. There's It's just really difficult for campaigns to message on this and plan on it when it's still in flux. Another issue that popped up in politics this week and could spill onto the runoff stage is Georgia's six-week abortion ban, which was blocked by a judge. What's going to happen there? So Georgia's six-week abortion ban was passed in 2019 and was immediately uh, stopped from being enforced by a federal court. Well, after Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Dobbs decision earlier this year, A federal court then allowed Georgia's law to kick in in July of this year, and it moved the line on abortion from about 20 to 22 weeks of pregnancy to six weeks. It then got challenged in state court on state constitutional grounds, including a right to privacy. Well, the judge came back with a ruling this week, and interestingly, he did not rule on that issue. So how the judge ruled on this was on this legal idea that in 2019, when the Georgia legislature passed the six-week abortion ban, and it was signed by Governor Kemp in 2019, it was unconstitutional then. Therefore, it should not take effect now. Judge Robert McBurney did, you know, make kind of clear that if this went through the legislature now, that he probably would not stop it. So that's the issue At this point, I think this is where this is now headed towards, is the Georgia Supreme Court. And it's going to be interesting to see what the Georgia Supreme Court rules, because whatever they're ruling probably ends up being the final word, because this is not going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in the end, this may get kicked back to the legislature. Nationally, the assessment of November turnout was that the issue of abortion did play in the minds of voters more than some analysts had predicted. And so any attention on this issue seems to play to the favor of Democrats. I think you can argue, given the fact that a majority of Georgians don't support this kind of restrictive abortion law. So it's a reminder that Republicans are the ones that have pushed this kind of policy. Susanna, you asked how this affects the campaign trail, how abortion affected the election results last week. And, you know, I talked a little bit about this with Jen Jordan, again, the Democratic nominee for attorney general. And her thinking was that abortion did move the needle in her race. It helped her get a close margin with her opponent. But either the message didn't break through fully enough or it wasn't enough to totally tip the balance in her direction. I don't think that the really negative impact of the law has really kind of bubbled to the surface yet. I think there was kind of a disconnect, right? I don't think people get it in Georgia yet. And so now as we look forward to the Senate runoffs, you know, yeah, I guess it makes sense to ask, like, will abortion being back in the headlines 
make the issue even more prominent. Or, you know, because this is a Senate race, what we're talking about here is potential action in the legislature. You know, will there be a connection in the minds of voters? I don't think we know right now. So look, the bottom line is that this is going to the Georgia Supreme Court. We'll see what they decide. If they uphold the reversal of the six-week abortion ban, then the only way that it kicks back in is that the Georgia legislature passes it again, and it's signed by Governor Kemp. And the path in the Georgia State House is much narrower than it was in 2019 when it was first passed. Talking about the legislature, and before we go, I would like to remember House Speaker David Ralston, who died this week after a prolonged illness. All of us worked with him. Um, What are your memories? Speaking of that abortion debate in 2019, that was a memorable night for all of us who were in the state house covering that that vote. Look, very clearly, Speaker Ralston was a conservative. You knew where he stood on the issue of abortion. But what he tried to do with that debate was moderate the debate with decorum and civility, as hard as it was, because you had such passions on both sides. And, and I want to just mention one specific memory. State Representative Renita Shannon was giving an impassioned, emotional speech, and she had run out of time, and she was still talking, and her mic had been even turned off. And the speaker was asking her to step away from the podium. And, and that was a moment where that debate could have gone completely in a different direction. And the best way I can describe from where I was sitting was he gave a look to Democratic lawmakers of, you need to come get your member, you know? Instead of telling one of the troopers to go down and get her or security to go, he just, it was a look, that's the only way I can describe it, of come get your representative. And they gently, you had a number of representatives come up there and just bring her off the podium. That could have gone such a different direction. And it's just kind of a reflection of, yes, this man was, a strong conservative, a strong Republican, but what he tried to bring a speaker separately was this level of decorum and civility, even on one of the most contentious debates I've ever seen in my career. I think what sticks out to me about Speaker Ralston is just a through line of not being afraid to kind of bring down some common sense into a situation. To Raul's point, as we know, he's a very conservative man. He would definitely allow some of the legislative shenanigans through and and even push some of it. Like, you know, the last minute um, anti-trans youth in sports bill that happened last session. But at the same time, he's one of the few Republican leaders who never let politics get in the way of COVID protocols, for example. He was adamant about masks in the state house. And he forced his caucus to comply even when some sections of Republican political world were not believing COVID protocols. And I'll also just add that, you know, Speaker Ralston really gained the respect of the press corps. And I think it was not because he always told us everything, right? But it was because he always made a point to make time for us and to answer questions. That is something that I think we'll all remember is his commitment to the role of the press in the process, even when he didn't like what we were asking, even when we didn't like what we were writing, he would still answer questions. And that's so important. 
I remember actually covering his election for speaker, and there was a huge ethics question at the time because it came off of the Glenn Richardson scandal. He had an affair with the lobbyist that became public and resigned. And I remember how Ralston just came in with this big charge of ethics reform and we need better ethics. And he was just such a good, friendly man who would always talk to media about it. He was almost at the time, you know, he had been a backbencher. He was in the last row in the house and all of a sudden here he is coming with, in with an ethics charge and become speaker. And I've watched him become more and more powerful over the years, how speakers become more powerful. And he always sort of figured out how to hold that power but not abuse it. Yes, he had violations and everything, I guess, that comes with power. But overall, I think he always weighed his power very well. That's how I remember him. That's it for this edition of Georgia Votes 2022 with Susanna Capaluto, Raul Bali. Emma Hurt, thank you for your time. If you have questions or comments, write to us at georgiavotes at wabe.org. Georgia Votes is a production of the WABE Politics team. Our producer is Kevin Rinker. We'll be back next week. I'm Sam Greenglass. Have a great week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.